Hi, Fiber friends. Welcome to the Fiber Artist Podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. 15% off. That's right. You get 15% off all of your favorite fibers at naromastudio.com using the code PODFRIEND. Rope, wool, yarn, string, recycled silks. Head to Neroma Studio and enter the code PODFRIEND at checkout for 15% off. And don't forget to check out the Neroma Studio outlet online at neromastudio.com where we list samples, irregular size rolls, one-off fibers, and discontinued colors for a fraction of the retail price. You can get up to 50% off um, at the Neroma Studio outlet. Okay, now for today's guest, the wonderful and talented fiber artist, Tiffany Allen, based in Ontario, Canada. Tiffany has zeroed in on macrame as her main fiber practice and is the talent behind macrame and driftwood. She experiments with dyeing and does lots of larger scale, intricately knotted, beautifully layered pieces. Tiffany has just launched an instructional macrame book titled, You Will Be Able to Macrame by the End of This Book filled with gorgeous photography, fun projects, and it's great for beginners and experienced knotters alike. So grab a copy at your nearest bookstore or online. You definitely will be able to macrame by the end of the book. You can find Tiffany online at macrameanddriftwood.com and on Instagram at macrameanddriftwood. Without further ado, here's Tiffany. Thank you for coming on today. Um, if you can just start off uh, and introduce yourself, just giving your first and last name and um, how people or where people can find you online and on Instagram. Okay, so I'm Tiffany Allen. I am the woman behind Macrame and Driftwood. Um, I have been doing this for, oh, I don't know, I think since 2017. I've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And my Instagram handle is at Macrame and Driftwood. Um, I primarily show up on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page as well, but, um, you know, I stick with Instagram for the most part. It's what I know and uh, yep. <laughs> what I, what I've learned and I, that's good enough for me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm tempted to hop on the, um, well, I have to turn this sound down. Hold on. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to hop on the TikTok train a little bit because I'm like, um, are these things passing me by? And then one day I'm going to be like, Oh, nobody's on here anymore. Everyone's moved to something else. Like, it's a little scary, you know, watching the shift change. Oh my God, I sound like a boomer, but like, um, you know what I mean, though? Especially lately with being pushed out with reels and things like that. And, you know, it's like I beat a dead horse in these conversations when I start talking about it, but it is like really top of mind for me, um, like trying to stay relevant on these platforms, you know? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I feel the pressure to uh, keep up with reels, definitely. And I think mm -hmm. you know, there's grumblings across Instagram about that and how they've really switched to more of like a video sort of platform. And that is definitely a challenge for me and something where I do feel like you really have to keep up with it and you really have to work at it. And yeah with what you said where you know it's one of those things where you kind of wonder if you don't use it do you lose it and um yeah it but it, it's difficult because it's it is one more thing to learn right and yeah think time it's just not a matter of filming a nice video like there's so much work and planning that goes into that and you know making sure that the lighting is just right and your camera set up and 
you know, like there is a lot of work that goes into it and I do find it really challenging. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just like to tie knots with string. Exactly. It's like, why can't the artist just be the artist? Now everybody has to be a videographer and an editor and a sound, um, you know, a, a sound editor and a, a music producer. Like we have to know what songs are the most trendy, like how to edit the video so that it hits at the right moment. Like I've been, I've finally got a chance to play with reels. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, but like last week because I had COVID, which I told you, I finally got it first time, first time COVID person. Um, but I, because I was home and I was like stuck, I was stuck at home and I had nothing else to do and I felt so unproductive and I was like, fine, fine, I'll do this. <laughs> and like, it's interesting because you have to use a different part of your brain to like plan it off, to start planning it out and like, just figuring out what's going to be fun for people to watch because I see a lot of the same, the same old thing that, you know, people dancing and pointing to certain signs and whatever, things like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to be boring or, you know, you want to make good content, but not only for the sale of it. Do you know what I mean? Like you want to be fun, but it's also, it's just complicated. I don't know. (laughs) It is. And you want it to feel authentic. Exactly. People are going to know right away if you're trying to do something that really isn't you or your style, you know, like you were just mentioning how like I don't usually show up very often on Instagram and show my face. So for all of a sudden for me to be jumping around and dancing in a video, that's just not me. And it's very difficult to try and force yourself to do that. And then when you're trying to force yourself to do something where you're really not feeling inspired, (laughs) you're not going to do it. It's like a chore. It becomes a job then. Right. And I think we like making the things. (laughs) Right. And it takes the focus away from making because as we both know, and everyone who's listening knows that just actually making the piece takes a long time. So when you have to Um, do the extra step of like setting up a camera while you do all that and getting the right shot while you're working. It's like, it takes 10 times longer to even get to the part about making something, you know? And do you find that like you criticize yourself so much when you're watching videos and you think like, oh no, like this isn't going to fly. This is no good. Oh yeah. And you, it's back to the drawing board. Let's start over again. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it'd be so funny to just, I kind of wish we could just see everybody's outtakes, like yeah. the ones, the, the ones that they didn't use. Cause you know what? Maybe we would all have more fun seeing those and just maybe, doing the imperfect maybe, stuff. Maybe figured something out here for us. Maybe. <laughs> just post your very first edit. You know what I mean? Your first take or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could honestly bitch about this part of it uh, all day long, but I will spare the listeners. Um, I would love to hear more about you and how you started your macrame journey. And um, and yeah, yeah, let me know. Okay. Well, it's nothing too different or spectacular, if I'm being honest. Um, I would say that this kind of started with my love for driftwood. Um, I was that person that would go for hikes. There's a lot of beautiful lakes and hiking trails and where I live in, I live in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. It's Northwestern Ontario. Um, There's a lot, like if you look at a map, we are water, water everywhere. It's blue, blue, blue. So there are lakes, rivers all over the place. And so every time you go hunting or hunting camp, hiking, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you're, you're near a body of water. So there's literally driftwood everywhere. And we're very lucky to be on the shores of Lake Superior. It's, um, one of the great lakes, Mm -hmm. very 
And so the driftwood that washes up on those shores, it's just beautiful. It has the beautiful white and gray tones. Um, so my love for driftwood was the first thing that happened. And I actually used to decorate my home with it. So I'd have like, Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'd have clear glass vases. I don't do it anymore because I have little kids, but they'd just be full of different pieces of driftwood that I had collected, um, either during family outings or, you know, hiking, just taking a walk. So I had quite a collection of driftwood. And then, you know, with Pinterest and home decor, I was looking online at different ideas for my home and I came across beautiful, like just gorgeous interiors that were styled with woven wall hangings, macrame wall hangings, all all different kinds of fiber art. And I was immediately drawn to it, like all of the different colors, the textures, the design. And then, of course, when you see a piece with driftwood, I thought, okay, like you're like, I got this. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, the thing is, the funny thing about driftwood is, um, like, you know, it takes a certain person with a certain kind of eye to be drawn toward it, toward it in a way where they actually stop and take a look. Because it's funny, I was recently, um, I took my kid fishing to this, like, local little state park area. Um, and we noticed... Like I noticed as we were like walking down the rocks that there was driftwood there. And it's like the first time I've seen it around here. So I was like, oh, like I could totally start collecting this. I mean, at the time I didn't have the space or any, you know, the bags or anything for it. But um, it was cool. I was just I was thinking like how many people pass it by because there's lots of hikers in that area. And I'm sure people just don't even notice, you know. It's true. Yeah. And I've always just been very, it's beautiful. I just love it. I've always been drawn to it. And maybe it's because I'm also drawn to the water and the lakes. It's always there. And I just associate it with really nice memories. So maybe that's part of it. But um, yeah, so when I saw macrame wall hangings, up on a beautiful piece of driftwood, I thought, okay, like I have to try this. So right away, I, you know, I started researching just a few of the basic knots. So like a square hitches, um, lark's head knot, and just figured out how to make a very basic wall hanging. And I used um, yarn, just like a cream colored yarn that I had picked up at a local craft store. And I made my first wall hanging. And since then, I haven't stopped. Oh, that's awesome. I know. And your style, you have a very particular style. We do, you do lots of layers and, um, you know, a very intricate sort of intricate knotwork, which I say I, I mean, I really identify with because it was like a style that I also gravitated toward. You know, it's funny because I'm just uploading an episode right now with uh, Terry Watson from Taiwan on Creative. Yeah. And I mean, it, she's like, it's it's like the opposite. Like hers is all calculated and measured out and she has to plan every piece ahead of time. So it makes me curious, like, because I know the way I would work, I was working when I when I was making more things, but um, that I, I really was very impromptu. Like it was whatever happened as I was nodding, it was just what's going to happen. So I'm curious, like for you, what is your process like? Uh, it usually starts with picking out a piece of driftwood and working with the different angles on the wood. So yeah, like if I find a piece that I really like and it has a lot of bends in, in the wood, then I try and find the place where I can start and hang the strings because even though I might be working with a very you know, bent and twisted piece of driftwood. I think my style is very symmetrical. Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking at a piece like that, I'm still trying to find symmetry. So where can I hang the strings and tie the knots to make it symmetrical, but then also 
you know, show off the wood and not to hide it. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't really know where I developed my style. I think I just saw different techniques and patterns that were being used and then found a way to incorporate that into my own piece of work. Right. Yeah, I really did draw a lot of inspiration from other makers back in 2017. There weren't uh, many of us back then. Right, I know. It's grown so much since then. It's kind of crazy. It just blew up, especially over COVID, like the pandemic and the lockdown. I, I really just saw it blow up that summer. Yeah, it was. it's a, hard to even get a handle on it in a way, like where – it used to be like you kind of knew, or at least you felt like you knew almost everyone, you know, who was on Instagram making. And there was like just this kind of smaller community where, yeah, you just felt like recognized and seen and that you could recognize and see other people and have like one-on-one conversations all the time. And truly people were really getting to know each other, you know, and it, it feels a lot harder now for me. You know, for me, I don't know. And I know I'm in a slightly different boat because of this, the su- supplier side. Um, so trying to keep track of like who's creating work with the rope that I provide. Um, you know, if they're not tagging me, then I it's I, it used to be that I could know by looking like right. at the work. Like I'd be like, oh, I think that's my string. But now I'm like, oh, like it's it's anyone's guess, really. It, it's right. just crazy. It's just gotten so much bigger. So it's it's pretty crazy. Definitely. Yeah, it's grown. And I, I know exactly why. Like, it is such an incredible craft. It is so enjoyable. Like, the fiber that we have access to now. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> it's just, it's come such a long way. You know, looking back to, it, you know, back in 2017, I didn't know where to get my rope from. I would right. go to crafts and I would get the yarn. And um, it's kind of funny I actually brought this out. So this was like the first cotton string that I ever used. Nice. Like cotton yarn. And it was just part of their like crafty crochet line. And so it's a, it's um, a heavier weight. It's thicker. And so this is what I used at the very beginning. And this is what I would dye myself because there were only a few colors available. Um, and then I found you. <laughs> Yay. You know, it's funny. My fr- I remember what I used for mine. And it was also from Michael's. And it was um, just craft cord. You know, like they have a braided, a braided craft cord, but it's tiny. It's like this little spool. Um, you know, with, I don't know, maybe not even a hundred feet on it. Like I, I think, I don't even know, but it was tiny and, um, yeah. And I just made it the one little piece, like I made it while I, like I hung it against my wall as I was making it. It was a very weird setup, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's funny when we look back at what was available at the time, it wasn't much. No, it wasn't. And I remember even, you know, my first few wall hangings and even plant hangers, I strung them up on the back of an old wooden chair. (laughs) So now I'm using garment racks and, you know, I have a much more streamlined process, but it was just a mess at the beginning. (laughs) Oh, I know. Exactly. Yeah. I was using like an over the door coat hanger, um, like with the three hooks on it. And so that I would put like the, the dowel on that. I remember I did that for a long time. And then I was like, there's got to be another way. So then I tried with like um, putting um, command hooks on the wall and yes. doing it like that. And then I was like, this is also not right. Because, you know, like when, you, when the wall is uh, against you, you're, you're a little bit restricted. So then um, God, I'm trying to think what happened. I remember uh, her name was Gianna. She was a in Greece, based in Greece. And she posted something where she had like something rigged to the ceiling. 
And I messaged her and I was like, can you tell me what you did? Like, and she was so helpful and she walked me through the whole thing. And it was like a game changer for me because taking it off of, off of the garment racks and then up onto the ceiling, it, it changed it all because then you can make bigger pieces. Like I could make, I could make something that was floor to ceiling. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, and I, I was so like, we were so tight for space because um, it was when we were living in Jersey city and like, yeah, we, we lived in like this tiny, tiny place. And so I was like, I can't have like five garment racks in the living room. It was just, it was so messy. So yeah, yeah. It, I, this is advice to people. If you're like, if you're really tight on space, then, you know, r- rig it from the ceiling and message me and I'll show you how to do it. But yeah, yeah. Look around your home, figure out what you have there to work with before it, you run out and buy everything. Cause you don't really need a garment rack to get started. Like right. you, you find things around your home, you yeah. know, I, I even thought, you know, inside of a closet on on the ra- the rail inside your closet. You totally. Tie up a dowel in there and do it in there or do a plant hanger. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what were you like as a kid? Uh, were you crafty as or artistic as a kid? Um, you know what? I think at the time I wouldn't say I was really artistic. But I remember in grade eight, like, you know, you do your grade eight graduation and I, I ended up winning the creativity board. Oh, see, so you were. (laughs) That's so. And I remember walking up to my teacher and accepting this award. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I'm not that creative though. And she's like, yes, you are. This is why we picked you. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. You're so modest. (laughs) I know. So yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't into like knitting or crocheting or sewing or anything like that when I was young, but I just like doing crafty things, you know, in school, any sort of projects, I really like to take it to the next level. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't particularly crafty, I would say, but I guess I, I was crafty enough that it caught some people's attention. Yeah. Yeah, I like playing sports as a child. Um, I I born and raised in Thunder Bay, so I've spent a lot of time outdoors, just going to the beach, um, out to people's camps, um, just being outside a lot. Nice. I, I, you know, most of my childhood memories are just being outside. Yeah, well, you know what, then, and that's not even. I feel like that is one of the most important parts about creative people. I mean, this maybe is a bad generalization. So I'll say it, but I could be totally wrong. But I feel like, I guess I'll just say in my experience, I think having access to the outdoors has, it really does something to like spark creativity. Like when you're, when you're feeling, um, you know, when you're feeling like you've hit a wall and you are kind of out of ideas, if you take a walk in nature, like it opens up so many things, like just being able to breathe and look at how, you know, nature has created like the canvas of nature, you know what I mean? Like looking at the moss on the trees or like the lichen, it totally starts for me bringing these the like imagery and colors, you know, that, that start to spark the imagination and spark creativity. So yeah, I think that outdoor experience probably for you, like it was percolating something back there and it was just waiting for you to find macrame. <laughs> I really love that. That's really beautiful how you worded that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what were you working at the time? Like when you what what ha- what were you doing in your life when you found uh, when you found your macrame practice? 
I was working full time, um, but it was just my husband and I at the time. So I was looking for just, uh, we're in Canada, so the winters are very long, very mm -hmm. cold. So it's nice to have an indoor activity that you can, you know, stay warm inside and do. And so that's kind of what it was, was my indoor activity over the winter. Um, and so that's... Um, I'm kind of trailing off here. <laughs> no go, yeah. Trail as much as you want. This whole this whole podcast is just like a series of digressions. It is for me at least because I don't plan anything ahead of time. I'm just like, we'll just chat and see what happens. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so That's it was what it was. It was just a hobby and you know something to do in my time. I had all this driftwood and like I said, like right from that first wall hanging, I was absolutely hooked. And then it wasn't long after that, that I jumped into dying the rope, which I also really love doing that. Yes, um, this piece behind you is gorgeous. Um, I, I've, I've def definitely seen it on Instagram, but it looks even prettier right now, like all, you know, set up and styled and everything behind you on the couch. So if you guys are Listening on the audio, I would say log into the YouTube so you can see her beautiful home and background. Yeah, I really, I really do love dyeing the pieces. And so I figured that out fairly quickly. Um, but at the same time, when you want to just have a spool of blue string for your project, it's nice to just go online and click. But <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, but you can't get these custom gradients that you've done. I mean, it is that's so beautiful. Right. Thank you. Yeah, and so that's basically how it started. Um, Do you have then, a favorite kind of dye? Uh, I just use RIT dye for okay. the most part. And there's a couple other dyes that I've just picked up from uh, different grocery stores. So I can't remember the name, but I mostly use RIT dye. Okay. That's what I here locally. Yeah, I when, I when I experimented a little bit with dyeing, I was using RIT as well. I found, you know, like you got blue really well. I found it hard to get, I was trying to get black. Like okay. I was trying to achieve black and it was so hard. I, it would always end up like kind of like a purpley gray. Um, yes. I don't know if you've ever achieved black, but that was, yeah, <laughs> that was a tough one for me. I don't think I've ever achieved black. Yeah. I'm like a purpley gray color. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's not just me. I was like, I, I must be doing something wrong. Like I must saturate it more, but it looks like a dark black ink while you're dying. And then it yeah. just comes out gray. So I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> this will do. the blues I find. When you're dying it, it looks really dark and really saturated. And you think you're going to have like this really moody piece. And then it dries and it's like. 50%. Right. I know. It's interesting that way. I mean, yeah. it adds it adds a lot as well, unless your goal is to be getting like a saturated, you know, a saturated fiber. But yeah, it's it's fun to experiment with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But uh, black is tricky. I've never achieved that. And it's funny with black, too, because you would think that just by diluting it, watering it down, you would have like a nice light gray color to work mm -hmm. with. That is not at all the case. It basically goes purple. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's so weird that it does that. I, there's got to be a science to it. And I'm sure there's some chemistry person out there being like, <laughs> these girls. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, no, I know. It's funny. Um, gosh, yeah, like the colors above too, though. That brown is so beautiful. The green, like the the color tone that you achieved throughout the whole piece is perfect. It's Thank so pretty. You. Yeah, and all of these colors have been mixed. So um, like the orange, like a, like a 
bright orange and black oh, that I mix. Wow. So you guys can't see it, but it's, I mean, it's like a sienna. It's sort of like a sienna brown or like a red rock, like the red rocks. That's what it reminds me of. This like peachy one was actually just a tan and then a little bit of this mixed in. So I played around a lot with mixing colors. Um, and then, yeah, it just goes into like an olive green. And that was just like a forest green dye, a little bit of black, a little bit of brown. So you really do have to play around with the colors. And one thing I found is that um, I always have little pieces of rope close by to dip and do the color test before mm -hmm. I move the piece and Smart. you have to sit like at least a minute and wait to see what the color develops into because you might dip your piece in lay it down and think oh that's not the right color I'm going to add more dye and as you're doing that the color develops into something perfect and now you've already changed your your dye right right, right. yeah that's one trick that I've really you know I stick to if I'm going to do a test swatch let it sit for at least a minute and see how the color develops that's true that's very smart Good advice. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so you recently wrote a book. Congratulations. It is beautiful. It is called You Will Be Able to Macrame by the End of This Book. I'm just showing it on the screen, you guys. Um, it's available now to purchase? Yes. Is that right? Okay. Oh, it's so beautiful. These projects are amazing. Um, can you tell me how this came about? I would love to hear like, and the experience of writing it and putting it all together and and all of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I guess it all began in 2020. Um, and I, I received an email and it just stood out from the rest. I feel like, you know, when you have your business email on Instagram, you do get a lot of spam and like, you know, weird emails that pop through. But this, I got an email and it looked like a legitimate one <laughs> from um, Octopus Publishing. The woman's name was Ellie and she had reached out and she said that she was looking for someone to write like a how-to book for macrame, gave a little bit of information about the company and was just looking to set up you know, a time to talk to me about it and see if it was something that I was interested in. Um, so I, I ended up meeting with her and had a phone call with her and she kind of explained that um, they were working on a new series of books. Um, so I guess they had a best-selling series. It's You Will Be Able to Draw by the End of This Book. Ah, nice. Okay. Ooh, I should pick that up, actually, because my son loves drawing. Okay, I'm def I have to get one. <laughs> <laughs> and then that branched off. It did well, and it branched off, and there's different how-to. You will be able to draw faces. You will be able to draw whatever. So uh, they decided to take it into like the crafting side. So there were a couple books ahead of mine. You will be able to crochet. You will be able to knit. And then now I got the, the macrame book. Awesome. And there's also one that came out around the same time as mine. You will be able to sew your own clothes by the end of this book. So basically my book was going to be part of that series. And as part of that, I was going to be set up with an entire team uh, to work with on this book. Which oh, that's so cool. There's no way I would have done it had I not been set up with a team because writing a book wasn't really something I ever thought that I would do. I wouldn't really know where to begin, to be honest. So when she reassured me that, you know, I would have editors to work with, I would have an illustrator who would be able to draw out the drawings. There'd be a creative team as far as the photography and styling everything. And it mm. all sounded really, really fun to me. And I got really excited. Um, and then, of course... 
I had to make sure this was legit <laughs> because it still all sounded almost too good to be true. Totally. And- Especially when they're not like, oh, you have to do it all. Here's your yeah. deadline. We'll just pay you. Because that's, I mean, I've talked to, I don't know, three or four people now who have come out with books and that's what it has been like for them. Where like for me, I would, it that would have paralyzed me just being like, okay, no, then I don't think I can do it. Like where they, they had to take all their own pictures draw their own drawings, illustrate their own, you know, do their own, their own illustrations. Like it just sounds so daunting to do it that way. So I'm loving hearing this that like there are people that will help you. Yes. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's basically what happened. And then of course I, you know, I met with a lawyer and I got them to review everything and make sure that it was all, you know, legit. Okay. It checked out. Yeah. Nothing fishy going on. And, um, yeah. So the first part of that was they were going to promoted, I believe it was the Frankfurt book fair. Um, so they wanted me to put together a couple projects, a couple, like, um, how to do a couple basic knots so they could basically create like a brochure or a flyer for the book fair. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then, um, the projects were delivered in batches. So I did in the book, there's 20 different projects. And so they wanted me to deliver the first 10 projects And then at the next interval was another 10 projects. And then at the last interval, it was um, basically the full introduction, including a knot guide to macrame. So it was like a batch delivery, which was nice because it, it didn't feel totally overwhelming. I was able to work on one part and really focus on that and get comfortable with it and gradually move through instead of trying to take it all on at once. Because I think that would have felt like, a lot. <laughs> yes, extremely daunting. Um, so how long did you have to from like to do, to deliver 10 projects? Um, I think it was maybe three or four months I had. Mm-hmm. And then it was two months after that, I would say for the next 10 projects. And then a few months after that for the full introduction and, and not guide. So I would say like this also started in the summer, maybe in June. And then the final manuscript was handed in, I think, just before Christmas or just after Christmas of that year. So around six months. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, I mean, that's pretty fast in my mind. I just seem like, like, especially because of all the drawings and like, if, you know, you guys, if you pick this book up and it, you, it does, um, take you through everything, like every step you're going to need. And the knot guides are beautifully done. Um, like the, the diagrams and, um, yeah, I mean, it's so, it's great. You definitely will be able to macrame by the end of this book. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, you did such a beautiful job. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And I really wanted to make sure that anybody would be able to pick up the book and learn how to do macrame. So there are, you know, very easy projects in the book to get you started so that you're going to that sense of accomplishment when you finish that project and you'll be excited to move on to the next one. So that was really important to me. I didn't want anyone to open up the book and feel like, okay. Right. Right. Because (laughs) then for me, (laughs) exactly. When the project is a little too complicated, but the cool thing is also that with macrame, the, the, like even the simple things can look complex. Like once you realize it's just a series of patterns, um, you know, that you do over and over. So, something like even the piece on the cover, it's like, um, you know, we might, we might call it simple because we're familiar, 
but it looks complex. You know what I mean? It looks very, you know, masterful. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's, I think it'll be a good book too, to get people started full introduction, get comfortable, and then you move on and you move into creating your own projects because now you'll have all of the basic skills, the techniques, my tips and tricks, (laughs) and uh, then you can move on. (laughs) Definitely. Um, Do you hope to come out with a second? I know, I know this one just came out, but um, you know, in your mind, are you kind of thinking, oh, if we did like a step, um, you know, a second edition kind of thing? I would love that. I I really would. I had such a great team to work with. And if they'd have me again, I would gladly go back and do a second book. Definitely. Yeah, it would probably be a little more advanced. um, Because now I have my beginner's guide. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be really cool. It it is very time consuming, though. So I'd have to make sure that (laughs) I'm able to take that on. Yeah. I mean, on that front, so you had said you had a full-time job when you started making, um, have you since quit the job and are you, what are you doing? Are you doing full-time? Where did you have a job while you were creating the book? Yeah. So I, um, so I started macrame, I was working full-time and then I, I got pregnant. And so, um, then I went on maternity leave and that's when I was really able to like. Oh, right. In Canada, you got, you get a year, right? Yeah. Actually, they bumped it up to 18 months. (gasps) Why do I live in the United States? (laughs) Not that I need to, I'm not, no more, but. (laughs) No, it's hard to imagine that there are places that don't have maternity leave. Yeah, like we, I had, I remember I had eight weeks. And so then I had to like put my tiny little two month old baby in daycare. I mean, this is what we do. It's just, it is the norm here. Um, Often if you don't, you know, if you do need to work through um, you know, your child's infancy, but it, it, it happens and they, they're fine. They come out fine. It's all good, but it's like, you know, it's hard. It's a really hard thing to balance for sure. Oh, absolutely. And somehow we just make it work. You know, you just do what you got to do and it all gets done at the end of the day. It is hard yeah. though. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I went on maternity leave. I did take a full year. Um, and then I went back to work and I continued making, um, you know, in the evenings and and on weekends when I could find the time with a small baby. (laughs) Yes. And you know, it was pretty easy at the beginning to do that because there's a lot of naps, you know, like it's, baby is down quite a bit. So I right. Would, but I um, mean, realistically, like in theory, yes, you're like, oh, they nap all the time, blah, blah. But the energy level, like what I don't understand with people who, who do, who are able to, you know, successfully have young children and make a crazy amount. See, because when I started, my youngest was two and a half, I think. So at least we were out of that. The part where you're so sleep deprived Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, every nap that he would take, I would need to just like zone out or like, you know, watch, watch a show or something. So yeah, to think like, oh, I'm going to take all that extra time and then be productive. It's like, oh my God, no way. So hats off is all I'm saying. It's amazing. I would like, I knew nap time was coming and I get so excited knowing that I could sneak away and do some macrame because that's really like me time, I would say, you know, it, it really is my happy place. To yeah. do. So, you know, it'd be like, okay, it's almost one o'clock. It's almost nap time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, you have like a true creative spirit when you're like, you know, you're searching for it for sure. 
when you love what you do, like you'll find a way, you'll definitely find a way. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. And then I went back to work full time and I continued to just do macrame in the evenings. Um, what kind of work were you doing? Uh, so I do property management. Oh, okay. Portfolio of like general purpose office buildings. It's very much a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. So this having this creative outlet has been really, really nice. Yeah, I wonder, is it, has there been any way to for you to overlap the two with in terms of like the decor side? Or no, no. Interiors? No. No, unfortunately not. No, it is very like, yeah, it's not, they don't overlap at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Ah, damn it. <laughs> I know, but it is nice to have that separation too, definitely. That's true. Yeah. And then, um, so yeah, I went back to work and I continued working and doing macrame and then I got pregnant again and I went on maternity leave again. And then the second time I did take the full 18 months plus an extra month. Um, but yeah, now I'm back to work full time and I'm Oh, so you are back to work. Um, yeah, I went back at the end of August, early September of last year. And, uh, again, it's, you have to learn all over again, like how to just survive day to day when you go back to work. And now it's not one child, it's two children and now your business and a household and, you know, you want to be present for your kids. So I think that finding that balance has been really challenging. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, hugely challenging. So when you were writing the book, that was, I guess that was during, it was 2020 during the pandemic. Yes. So were you, were you working from home or were you completely not working or or were you on maternity leave? leave. Okay. So that worked out really well. Yeah. So my son was born, um, in February, mid-February. And then we all went into lockdown. Was it March or April? I would say. March, yeah. Well, we, yeah, we did March. I don't know about you guys. I think it was March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then it was a couple months after that, then I got the email from my publishing company and, uh, then it, then off went the book. (laughs) Nice. Oh, so amazing. Um, oh shoot. What was I going to ask you? I had it in my head. Um, Um, I'll have to edit this part out because this, this, this lag is too long. Sorry, I got to write down the time. Um, what was I going to ask you? Pandemic, something about pandemic. Oh, kids. So you have kids. How old are they now? Uh, two, two and four, two and a half and four and a half. Two little boys, Daniel. Yeah. Awesome. So you are a boy mom, just like myself. Yes. Oh, oh my, my They're so fun. They're so I, fun. It's just chaos all the time. They're like pure chaos. It is. You know, one was busy. One was really busy. And then we had the second one. And the second one is just a handful. He is busy. He is the kid that's running all over the place, pretending he's a T-Rex, climbing up on things, where the first one was very calm and just really chill. (laughs) This happens very often, I think, where the first ones are the quieter ones, maybe sometimes even the shyer ones, and the second ones are insane. Like, (laughs) or like just their personalities are more, I don't know. For me, it's like, you know, my younger one is definitely like louder, more talkative, more social, just like everything is extra with the little one. Yes. 
<laughs> they have to yell everything. <laughs> totally. My little guy too. Yeah, he's just, he's so busy and so happy and enthusiastic, but just, yeah, running around, climbing, trying to keep up with his brother and just wanting it to do everything that his older brother is doing. Right. It's really sweet though. Uh, my oldest, Daniel, he's he's so caring and kind to his little brother and they do get along so well. Like oh, that's it, great. They're polar opposites, but it, it works for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, that's same with my kids, polar opposites, but it's like if they were similar you know, it's funny. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be as kind of harmonious in a way, you know, because their interests are different. They're not constantly fighting over the same thing. Um, although there is a lot, there is a lot of fighting. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's a little different though. I guess less competition. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Less competition. Um, like, yeah, my boys are also close in age together. Um, and yeah, you know, I would think that I would have thought that they would have more competition for friends and things like that. But because their personalities are so, so different, they they don't even argue about that, you know? That's nice. How so old are you that, now? Now they're eight and ten. Oh. I know. Almost nine and ten and a half. Like, they're big. They're almost at the point where they're going to start smelling. And, like, you know, you can already see, like, the hair growing on their – like, the older one's legs. And we've, we've had to, like, talk about puberty. And, like, he's not there yet, but – close yeah. enough where, you know, you kind of have to let them know what's going to happen. Right. So it's been very interesting. And then my younger one, like, uh, I don't know, last year he came home from school and he goes, um, mom, you know, someone so told me that sex is when uh, the boy puts his penis in the girl's butt. And I was <laughs> like, uh, do we have to have this conversation right now? I guess like I can't avoid it forever. And he's, he, you know, he was in second grade at the time. I'm like, isn't this a little young for this? But I called my husband up and I said, babe, it's time. <laughs> so yeah. we very matter of factly told him that that was not technically correct, but and we, you know, we didn't go, <laughs> we didn't validate that particular um, part of what sex could be. <laughs> but we just went into like, you know, reproductive, whatever. And, you know, we were very just matter of fact. Um, but yeah, that happened a lot earlier than I thought was going to happen. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that that would surprise me. But you know what? There's been so many pr surprises along the way. I guess. <laughs> I know. 10. Wow. And it's funny how obsessed they are about like with their <laughs> with their penises. Like it's like they start playing with them early, you know. <laughs> yes, I know. No one warns you about No, that they either. don't. <laughs> so for all the listeners, this is your warning. <laughs> yeah, if you have boys, just expect them to be playing with themselves all the time. <laughs> like and I can see them now actually doing it like under their like they'll put their hands in their pockets. <laughs> And, like, just sort of, like, be touching. And it's not even – I don't even know if there's, like, arousal happening, but, like, they're just always playing with it. I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, my husband's always, like he, – he gets more, like, you know, don't do not do that. But I'm, like, I don't think we're supposed to shame them about it. Right. It's just, like, normal. So I'm trying to – I just kind of, like, you know, I just kind of pretend I'm ignoring it. I don't really know what's the right thing to do. But um, if it's blatant, then I'll be, like, this is a private thing. You do that in your own room or, or in the bathroom, you know, but yeah. – wait till you're in your bedroom or, you know, every once in a while it's like, Hey, what are you doing over there? Exactly. exactly. Like, I know you're up to something. I'm you out on this. I know. Over there. <laughs> um, I mean, your kids are still so young. I honestly don't know how you're juggling it because especially because 
And I know this very well that the types of pieces you do are extremely intricate, like lots and lots of knots, lots and lots of layers. How are you finding the time with the full-time job? Like at least at the time I had quit my job when the kid, when my youngest was, I want to say four and a half. So um, yeah, I didn't have to deal with that part of it. But you're really still just nights and weekends now, huh? Yeah, I'm just, you know, making the most of it. And I just find, you know, after the kids go to bed, some nights I sit on the couch with my husband and we watch our TV shows. And then some nights it's nice to just, you know, slip away and go do some macrame. And it's not something where I just sit there for maybe, you know, 30 minutes and do a little bit. Like when I start working on it, I'm there for hours. And I often find that I'm up until midnight or sometimes even later because I just get so into it. I know. and then sometimes you throw on Netflix and then you're you're so into your macrame, you're so into your show. <laughs> totally. You're bubbly, fizzy water and you're just enjoying life, you know? <laughs> nice. Yep, totally. Yeah. yeah. Going going to town on your nuts. <laughs> yeah, and then my kids, like up until about a month ago, both of them were still napping on the weekends and they're really good nappers. So they were sleeping from about one to four. Oh my God. I know. You're so lucky. I know. And my four and a half year old would still be napping, but we had to cut him off because he's going to school in September. Plus his daycare group that he's in now, they don't do naps because he rolled over into the school age program. Okay. So he's not napping at home anymore. So that kind of cuts into my macrame time. So now it kind of feels like it's just like an evening thing after the kids go to bed. But I just, I love it. So I do find the time. Yeah. Like, you know, the laundry, the dishes, the the housework, the gardening. Like, there's just so much. There is so much. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, it's amazing, I have to say. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I don't know how I I managed to do it all. Like, I think when I was writing the book, I was very tired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I imagine. Like, especially if you're – especially if you're in that kind of process, like, sleeping – gets it becomes difficult too because you're I imagine like you were very creatively fired fired up yes, you know? absolutely and you know you'd be laying down to go to bed and something would come into your brain like oh I need to mention this or change this about whatever I wrote and yeah. so the phone add a little note so you know to go back to it yeah it's it's hard to turn that off when you're in the zone definitely. totally totally yeah at time I don't know if I took any orders for mm. macro pieces. I think it was mostly just focus on the book um, because I was also creating all of those pieces for the book too. I was really busy. That took up a lot of time. So yeah, it wasn't just, you know, writing, writing all the projects and step one, step two, step three. It was making the pieces and then making a second one to then double check your instruction to make they work. So I found that I made a lot of things twice. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting when you think about the logistics of that kind of, of that kind of thing, you know, that, yeah, you you have to do everything twice. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Um, on that note, actually, are you, so are, are you mostly sort of like a, com- a commission based artist or are you able, not even able, but what do you prefer to do? Do you prefer to sort of have, um, have the orders in and do it that way or just make freely and then try to sell what you're making or what you've already made? 
I'd say a little bit of both. I, um, I just, I love doing custom orders, but I find that when you do take a lot of orders, you're just doing the same thing sometimes over and over and over again. Yeah. I, for me, I have like a few signature pieces that people just, they seem to want that one over and over. So it, it can get a little bit repetitive and it's sometimes it's nice to just, you know, take some time and try something new. Like now I've gone back to dying and I'm taking kind of a, a break from orders to just get creative again and try out some new ideas. Cause I don't know about you, but as a maker, like I'm just, I'm constant, like there's just new ideas always coming into my head and there's never enough time mm-hmm. to try out. So I think it is important to take that time and make that time to try out something new or try out that idea that you had. So I do a little bit of both. I try and take orders to keep the people happy. Yeah. <laughs> they also really like to just get creative and make pieces. So yeah, yeah. I, I um how do you think can we talk like marketing for a minute? How do you feel like people are finding you most now? Is it still, is it through Instagram or through your website or Etsy? Or I don't know if you're on Etsy, but. Uh, no, I'm not on Etsy, just Instagram. I would say that's basically all it's been since the beginning is Instagram and then Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's great to hear that people are still like, you know, finding you in that way because, it, you know, it's starting to feel, as we talked about in the beginning, that, you know, it's, it's become like more saturated and just you know, getting lost, but that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you're, it's, you're still able to stand out in a way that people are finding you, you know, strictly through Instagram. So yeah, that's and I great. Think like one of the really awesome things about where I live. So in Thunder Bay, there's, there's a quite a big um, community of makers here and we all very much are like we've support support each other and support local. So I find that a lot of my commission pieces are from people here in my hometown, which oh, is really that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that keeps me busy. And then I think also just the significance of, you know, driftwood from Lake Superior, it also, you know, is very attractive to people that live in the area. No, absolutely. That- from the lake that we live on. So I find that I'm busy with a lot of custom orders from our, just my local community. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, you know, as a Michigander, I, I do know, I know all my, our five great lakes that are surrounding the state. So yeah, I'm very familiar. And I like, I love it because I don't think people who have like people who have not been there or been to one of the great lakes don't understand like how they're oceans. They're like freshwater oceans. They are, yeah. They're huge. Yeah, I'll refer to them as the ocean. And yeah. It's clear blue water. Like yeah. Just beautiful. You can see right down and you can see like the Lake Superior stones where they're the really round, smoothed out stones. Mm-hmm. You can see right down. Like the water is clean, clear. It's just beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Um, have you done any uh, like art fairs or markets in your area? Do you have that kind of thing? Yeah, we do. Um, We have quite a few markets. So I've had to be selective with the ones that I attend just because there's a lot. And like I was saying, like our community likes to support local. There Mm -hmm. are makers. So yeah, I usually do one or two a year. Um, Usually what it's called um, the craft revival and it started maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer. Um, but it's, it's really grown and now it's turned into this event where a lot of the businesses in the downtown core, they open up their doors on a Saturday and they allow a whole bunch of local artists, makers, um, 
just, you know, anyone who's really crafty can mm-hmm. set up and then the whole downtown opens and you just go from door to door, business to business and you shop around. And at some of these places you can pick up a cocktail, you can stop and have lunch and you can make a whole day out of it. That's and- awesome. Yeah, so that is really fun because you do see a lot of familiar faces. You know, you see fellow makers that you might follow on Instagram. Um, so I really enjoy that. I really enjoy getting out. And it was really sad when we were all in lockdown and those markets weren't happening. Yeah. Um, I felt that disconnect, you know, I miss seeing people and um, just having like those friendly conversations with everyone. So I love doing markets. Um, I'm looking for, I probably won't do one until Christmas time um, just because I need a lot of time to prepare. <laughs> yeah. Getting the inventory ready. Um, that is definitely uh, time consuming. <laughs> so do you yeah. go with your full, usually with like a lot of full big pieces or do you tend to travel lighter when you do the markets? You know what? I have always brought at least one or two of the larger pieces um, just to really show like what I can do. And then based on those, like they might not always sell, but they might turn into an order down Mm -hmm. the line. And then, you know, like medium pieces. I like to have some of those plant hangers are always um, a good seller. And um, then just some mini wall hangings as well. So I like to have a variety. Um, I am trying to figure out a way to travel lighter though, (laughs) because there's a lot like macrame can get pretty heavy. Oh yeah. Rope and the display. Cotton is not light. It is, it is not light. I know my, um, actually my husband was joking the other day. He was like, uh, can you in your next life, um, start a business with like products that are not so bulky? (laughs) Because it takes up everything. I mean, it takes up our entire basement, our entire garage, like, and, you know, each roll is like, you know, 2.2 to 5 pounds. So it's like, you know, you're getting your workout just by shelving. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of work to, you know, carry it all in, set it all up, make sure every strand is hanging perfectly, every tassel is brushed out just so. <laughs> yeah, I know it. All down and pack it all up. So it's a lot of work, but you know what? At the end of the day, it really is a good feeling once you've been out there and you've been talking to people, yeah. and it's just it's really nice. I really enjoy the whole experience. Your your community sounds like so ideal for you know for people who are. I mean, I guess for any creative, but just like the mix of nature and um, you know, and a supportive artist community. It just sounds so lovely. It really is. Yeah, I I love my hometown. And I I love all the makers here. They're just wonderful. And I don't think I would have been here where I am now if it wasn't for the support of all of the other local makers. You know, they really cheering me on from the very beginning and having that support even on Instagram. It it all helps. It really does all help. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, what do you have in mind for, um, you know, the future of macrame and driftwood? What would you love? What would you like to see? What would you like to accomplish in the next, you know, let's just say five years? Five years. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I'd really love to start teaching workshops. I've been saying that for years. It just hasn't panned out. <laughs> well, no. the last two years were a bust, you know, just they because were. of the pandemic and. Yes, yes. So I've ordered, I, I have downstairs in the basement, a whole bunch of racks ready to go. Oh, so nice. I'm so close to getting there. So I would really love to branch out into teaching macrame and doing workshops and, you know, 
meeting with people and talking with people and showing them one-on-one how to do things. I would really love to do that. Um, And I think I just like to continue doing what I'm doing. Like I'm in a really good spot with the craft where I'm able to just, you know, make as, as I want to and no mega pressure to, you know, ship out 20 pieces a month or whatever. Just do what I want when I feel inspired. Like I think that really works for me and it's my happy place. You know, the moment that I, I find that I'm feeling overwhelmed or I've taken on too much, all of a sudden I feel like shutting down. Mm-hmm. Is this place? I don't know if I like this. So yeah, I think it's important to set those boundaries definitely and try not to take on too much and just continue making over the next five years. And, you know, I think I'm just open to any opportunities that come my way. And like you mentioned, if there's another book opportunity that presents itself, that would be really exciting too. Awesome. Um, You know, it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of people I talk to and, you know, either their present goal or their past goals or whatever were to like eventually quit and do it full, do this full time. But I think it's, it's so nice that when you, I mean, while it is hard because you have time constraints, the, um, I think the freedom you have, like, because you are more financially free and not relying only on your macrame for your, you know, to survive financially is, is, you know, I don't know. It's weird because there's a part of you that there's a part of people that want to go, okay, no, I just want to, I want to quit and give everything to this. But then you have so much pressure Mm -hmm. to sell, sell, sell. And that's not always a good place to be. So yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think you're doing, you're managing it all and balancing it all so beautifully. Even your aura is like very calm (laughs) and you seem very comfortable and like you've really, like you've set up this life where you can thrive in so many ways, which is so beautiful to see is all is my whole point. But Oh, that's yeah. so nice. Oh, that's really nice feedback. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, there definitely have been times where I've considered, you know, am I happy in my current job? You know, would I be happier doing something more artistic or, you know, having a booth set up in a market where like, you know, I just dive into my creativity full time. I think the biggest fear with that though is, that it'll take the joy out of it. Like you said, yeah. with all the extra pressures of, you know, making sure that you have an income coming in, mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep up with all these orders and, you know, just the pressure to stay relevant and to keep up with the technology as well. Like that, that is scary for me. <laughs> right. Turning your hobby into, into a business. It comes with all the bad stuff too, you know, which is, you know, so I think, yeah, it's, it, everybody has to recognize like there are, there are always two sides to the story and there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, so it's whatever, you know, you're being called to do. So no, I think it's, I think it's beautiful and, um, yeah, I, I love it. I feel you seem so very balanced and, and, you know, it's good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's been, you know what, it's been a heavy couple years, hasn't it? It's, yeah. And I just, I'm so thankful that over the last couple years, I have had this craft because it really, truly has been a place that I find joy and it brings so much happiness to my life and not just making the pieces, but <laughs> doing all the shopping for the pieces, you know, going yeah. on your bed and adding to my card and that is also so much fun and then um 
Another thing that I found out I really enjoy doing is the photography side of things. I love photographing macrame. So that's why I'm also a little bit grumpy about the whole real thing and switching to video because totally. I love photography. I appreciate a good picture. I like I love making the things, hanging them up. And then I love the photography aspect just as much. Yeah, I know. I felt the same way. I feel like you and I are very like alike in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, it's yeah. it's great. Like, because you're also learning, and like the styling port part, like where you can style the piece around your furniture and like you know add a plant or whatever. It's like yes, yes, yeah. That was all so much fun, and and I feel like it opened up a lot of like interior design interest for a lot of us, which we like. For me, that was new, you know. Um, but yeah, now, now it just feels, yeah, it's just not as fun. Yeah, yeah. Apparently uh, the Kardashians are not happy with Instagram is what I read also. Oh, that well, even, not I know, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, if they can't move the needle like back to where we were, then no one can. Honestly. Well, have some influence over that. That's Maybe what I was hoping. Part. But then I guess like Zuckerberg was like, no, or whoever's leading, whoever's leading the Instagram arm of meta was like uh well we're just gonna stay with the times because you know and move to toward video which is what everybody's doing so he's basically like f you you know we don't care what the kardashians think i was like dang it i know for once make what they were what make what they're saying relevant uh like um you know important Yeah, I find I like a lot of the times the videos are just almost too intense. They're just like coming at you all the time. Yes. And it's hard to even really get into one. And then before you know it, the next one's coming up. And it's just like, I don't know. It's really hard to focus. <laughs> I agree. And you can't zoom in, which is frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you click on an image thinking you're getting the image. And then it jumps right into a video. Yeah. The heck, I just wanted to see this beautiful picture. I want to know, like, I, I need inspiration for my kitchen here. <laughs> exactly. I know. Ugh, I know. It's it's very frustrating. <laughs> Maybe we'll, there will be another app that comes out that is what Instagram originally was. And we can all, we can all just yep. go over there. I know, I know. Is that Pinterest, though? <laughs> oh, maybe. But you know what? Even Pinterest, though, it's like the same. It's all the same photos that come up for me a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even though the internet is vast and you think it's unlimited, we're only seeing like the tiniest portion of it based on whatever your browser or your location. Cause now they're, they're filtering all of that. So it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It's all and that's finding even on Instagram. I'm only seeing like 10 to 15 accounts. Same over and over and over. And I feel so bad because there are makers that I want to support and I want to see their products. A hundred percent. And I'm thinking, why isn't this showing up? I'm always liking their, their stuff, you yes. know, I'll save it so that Instagram knows like, this is what I want to see. It's still not showing up. So I don't know what's going on, but I'm very limited with what I can see these days. Yeah, I agree. And it's a lot of sponsored posts or, or posts that they recommend for me that of people who I don't follow. And I'm like, like it, in some cases, maybe that's a good thing because we'll be discovered that way, but it doesn't feel like that's what's going on. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's a little too tailored right now, yeah. you know, a little too customized and we're not seeing the new stuff. Right. Like, you know, it just becomes very repetitive and sometimes boring when you're totally. saying this 
the same stuff over and over and over again. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, you know, I guess those are the things we can't control, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll just keep making and taking yeah. pictures and <laughs> cause that's what I love to do. Right. Yeah. And hoping somebody sees them. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad we finally got a chance to chat because, you know, I really, really admired your work for a long time. So this was wonderful. Thank, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done for the community, you know, just sharing pictures and providing us with beautiful fiber. Like it really has changed the game. Oh, you know, thanks. Like you are one of the originals. And yeah, I think without you and some of the other big players like Bridie and, and yep, yep. modern macrame, like you guys really paved the way and um, opened up a lot of doors for us. And I truly, truly from the bottom of my heart know that, this book would not have happened if it wasn't for people like you. So, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So kind. Thank you. And now the product is on the front of the book. That's right. Um, where can people get the book? Is it just like where Amazon and where people can get books? Yeah, do you have so it on your own website? I do. Yeah. So if you click on my, it's available, you can click the link on my website also through Instagram under my bio, there's a link there. Um, and it'll take you to chapters or Amazon and there's a few other retailers on there as well. Awesome. So. Yeah. yeah. Pick up Tiffany's book. And, um, just one last time, if you can let people know where they can find you. Um, on Instagram at macrame and driftwood. All right. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on naromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the fiber artist podcast, go to Apple podcast to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.